The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To open to Ecclesiastes, we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this afternoon. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, considering the whole chapter. Give attention now as God Himself speaks to us through His perfect, infallible, holy, inerrant Word. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go out from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of a king of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this, that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out that it, what that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in his seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Well, this concludes the reading of God's word. May God now be pleased to add His blessing to it. Well, a common proverb in our day is knowledge is power. And of course, to a certain extent, that's true. You start a business, you don't know anything about a business, 
you are likely not going to succeed. You know, my first years of hunting were quite an embarrassment. Not to say that's changed now, but they're definitely an embarrassment in the beginning because I really didn't know what I was doing. I lacked knowledge, and therefore uh, it really uh, ended up not being uh, not fulfilling the what what hunting's about, which is actually killing something. I know it's not called killing called hunting, but still, every once in a while, you like to kill something. A, a greater proverb, perhaps, is wisdom is power. Wisdom is the good application of good knowledge. And Solomon affirmed this in Ecclesiastes 7.19, where he said, Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers of a city. You can have ten rulers, but if you have one wise man, that one wise man has greater power. Wisdom is power. However, Solomon now turns to show that while we do have wisdom, we are lacking a certain wisdom. We are lacking a certain power. We are lacking the wisdom and power needed over this sin-cursed, vain world. And that causes us then to look for somebody who has that wisdom and power that can deliver us. So four areas that reveal our limits in wisdom and power. The first is in the area of the king. Verse 1, who is, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. So this question sets the context of the entire passage of chapter 8. Who is like the wise? In the end of the passage, verses 15 through 17, Solomon essentially says, no one. Not even Solomon himself. It says three times in verse 17, man cannot find out. So this question of who is wise and knows the interpretation of a thing, not Solomon and not us. And so the entire passage is essentially revealing this to us. Of course, that leads to the question, well, then who? When Solomon asks who is like the wise, he has something specific in mind. It's what he goes on to immediately say, who knows the interpretation of a thing or a matter? A psalm is talking about something that's befuddling, something that is unanswerable, where you require a wise person to reveal its meaning, to interpret it. The same phrase is used with regards to two people in the Bible, Joseph and Daniel. They knew the interpretation of a thing. A Joseph was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and therefore he was exalted to second in the kingdom, the power right alongside the king, the same with Daniel. He was able to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he too was exalted to a high position of power alongside the king. In both cases, their wisdom was recognized and led to power. And so we see the valuable nature of wisdom in the figurative words of this proverb here it causes a man's face to shine. It gives him joy rather than hardness of face, a lack of joy. But while Joseph and Daniel were able to interpret dreams that were specific to their times, they were able to interpret a matter. Who is able to interpret the matter that Solomon is speaking about in Ecclesiastes? And what is he speaking about? Vanity of vanities. Who's going to deliver us from this vain, sin-cursed world? Who, who's the wise one? Who's like the wise who can give us the answer? 
However, Solomon's question of who is like the wise highlights the fact that no one is, not even Solomon. And so we are left out with the power of a king, but left to be under the reign of a king. Since we are not like the wise who can interpret a matter like Joseph and Daniel, we are not brought to that same power, but remain under the power of the king, at least in their day. So Solomon says, the best I can do is give you some wisdom of how to deal with being under the power of a king. Verse 2, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Of course, this is a form of government they had, uh, a monarchy. Anything the king said must be kept. And Solomon says, keep his commandments because, literally from the Hebrew, on account of the oath of God. It could be because of God's oath to him, but more likely, and this is the footnote, at least in the ESV, because of one's oath to God in swearing allegiance to the king. Along with this, Solomon says in verses 3 through 4, Be not hasty to go out from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? So standing in the presence of a king was literally a matter of life or death back in that day. If you did not have joy in your face, if you exhibited some level of sadness, it could be death for you. A same with leaving his presence when dismissed too quickly. It could be disrespectful to his presence, as if you couldn't wait to get out of it, or you just had something more important to do. That could kill you as well. That's just a different world they lived in back then. Also, uh, fighting against him for an evil cause, that obviously would get you killed because the word of the king is supreme. He's in the human realm. No one could even question him. If you want to keep your life and have things go well, this is how you live under his power. As Solomon says in verse 5, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. So keeping the king's command will lead to knowing no evil that is bad thing in the sense of not getting killed or punished. And living before the king, keeping his command requires wisdom. You know, the proper time to address him. You know, the proper way, the just way to apply his commands. Even when it goes against your conscience, like what happened with Daniel. Where they were told he needs to eat meat that they weren't required to eat as Jews. But he figured out a just way of doing it. Uh, with regards to uh, eating uh, fruit without bringing about the anger of the king. And what we see from this is wisdom not only involves knowing the right thing, but also the right time in the right way. And I think sometimes we could be zealous for righteousness. And we see someone doing something wrong and we're like, you need to be righteous and you need to you know, stop doing that. Well, that may be true, but there's a, there's a just time and a just way to do it. And that's what wisdom lends you to. When your wife is upset at something you did, your response at the moment should probably not be, oh, just calm down. Probably say something else and address any sin at a proper time sometime later. Wisdom is not only knowing what to do, but also when to do it and how to do it. And the reason for this, verse 6, for there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lays heavy on him. So there's a right time and a right way to do everything, and wisdom is what tells us that. 
Now, you notice how he says, although man's trouble lays heavy on him. And this brings up that there's a time even for trouble, as Ecclesiastes 7.14 says. The wise man knows there's a time for everything. That includes time for trouble. While the wise of heart knows the proper time, he does not know when the time of trouble will come. And that weighs heavy on him. Verse 7 goes on to say, For he does not know what is to be. Who can tell him how it will be? No one can predict the future. And that's perhaps why fortune telling and that sort of thing is popular. I want to know. Give me, give me some control because this lies heavy on me. But the most weighty troubles are the ones expressed in verses 8 and 9. One, uh, one of which man knows is coming for certain. Which brings us to the second area that reveals our limits in wisdom and power, and that's tyranny. Uh, the day of trouble that man knows is coming for certain is death, which is one of the worst tyrants there is. It is an enemy, the Bible says. It gets everybody, and nobody has power over it. Verse 8, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So we know this great day of trouble is coming for us. And I think a lot of times we take comfort in the fact of, well, it's just still a ways away. We don't know that. It could be tomorrow for any of us. There's no guarantee for another day. And we do not have any power over it. Solomon says no man has power to retain the spirit. You see, in death, your spirit is separated from your body. And so that you don't have power to retain the spirit. You don't have power to hang on to your spirit that's leaving in death. You don't have power over death. And in line with uh, this powerlessness, there is no discharge from war. Your chances of dying were much higher during war. And the king would command people, you need to be in the war. And when it says wickedness uh, is not going to deliver you, it seems to be referring to disobeying the king's command and going AWOL as a soldier, uh, trying to, to get out of it. In any case, we're powerless over preventing the day of our death. Uh, it is coming, and we cannot hold on to our spirits. Uh, you, you can do everything possible to ensure good health. And uh, it's not a bad thing. It, from our perspective, it prolongs lives. It, it, you have bodily upkeep. You can have all the wisdom of, of doctors in the world. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to die. Uh, I think sometimes some, some of the health craze is like, well, that fear of death. Death really is a tyrannical enemy. And it's an enemy that everyone is afraid of. In Hebrews 2 says that Jesus delivered those who were afraid of death. Uh, being held captive by uh, the, the devil. And even believers struggle with fear of death. I mean, there's no, once you become a believer, it's not like, ding, I am no longer ever afraid of anything. I no longer have any sin. I no longer have any unbelief. No, we still have fears. We still have uh, difficulties. Uh, death is a terrible tyrant. Another terrible tyrant, verse 9. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. So another great tyrant in this life, this vain life, 
is oppression, being powerless under wicked power, when man had power over another man to his hurt. And this is a great fear of many of us. And we don't want this happening in our nation, and we shouldn't want it happening in our nation. A lot of uh, people have died as a result of this throughout world history. No one wants to be under any abuse of authority anywhere. But this is always a possibility in this sin-cursed world, being powerless under evil and oppressive power. And this is one of those troubles that lie heavy on man. And speaking of wickedness, a third area that reveals our limits in, in wisdom and power has to do with the wicked. So the tyranny of death and tyrants now leads Solomon to combine them and talk about the wicked's death. Verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. So we see the wicked buried. It's their funeral. The strange thing about this is that they used to go in and out of the holy place, which is a reference to the temple, and the city, which is likely a reference to the holy city of Jerusalem where the temple was. So this wicked person was a religious person. And we've all seen this, haven't we? In fact, the world uses this against Christians. Oh, look at you hypocrites. There's usually hypocrites among the, the, the church community. And yet, this person seems to have an honorable burial and being praised. Uh, this, of course, is vanity. It is not the way it should be. But they act wickedly because they do not face immediate consequences. Look at verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So when the consequences of evil are not immediately rendered or immediately experienced, the heart is more emboldened to do evil. Go to different parts of our, of our country and you see this. People just walking out with handfuls of of merchandise because the government's not doing its job. But, but notice this does not say the heart of the wicked, but rather the heart of the children of man, or literally the heart of the children of Adam. It's fully set to do evil. This is who we are by nature, apart from the new birth. The only thing that keeps the children of the first Adam's evil in check is consequences. But if you remove that, then there's no incentive to do good. Their heart goes after evil. And this is why we say it's the love of Christ that compels us. If it's just, hey, if you don't hammer the law and threaten people, they're going to do evil. Well, for Christians, though, yes, there needs to be consequences in certain parts. But for Christians, it's the love of Christ that compels us. It's gratitude. But for, the, for us, according to our sinful nature in the first Adam, if consequences are not in the immediate picture, the heart runs after its evil desires. And Solomon now turns to muse, not about what he observes, but rather about what he knows or believes in his heart. Look at verses 12 to 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked. 
neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So Solomon's saying, even though there's a sinner, and a sinner here is somebody whose lifestyle is characterized by unrepentant sin. And it's clear uh, before all. It's not just sinners in general. We're all sinners. But somebody who uh, particularly stands out, whose lifestyle, no question, is someone who's living in sin. Solomon says, yeah, he may prolong his life, but I know it will go better with those who fear before God. Uh, those who stand in awe of God. This awe and holy caution that arise from the realization of his greatness. Solomon reasons that obviously it is better to fear before God than to live wickedly, even though wicked don't face immediate consequences and prolong their life. So he knows that. But then he turns to what he observes. Verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So while Solomon knows it's going to be better with those who fear God, yet he observes that the righteous sometimes face the consequences that should happen to the wicked, and the wicked sometimes receive the blessings that should happen to the righteous. And Solomon says this is vanity. This is not the way it should be. So what is the answer to all of this? And this brings us to the fourth area that reveals our limits in wisdom and power. That's what I just call life. Look at verse 15. Life in general. Living this life. Verse 15. And I command joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So in the middle of this obvious vanity and hardship that demands an answer, Solomon brings up for the fifth time in this book finding enjoyment in eating and drinking from our toil and work. And as we've seen, this is a good thing. This is a good gift from God for which we should be thankful. But in the context here, it should really disappoint you. Okay, all this unjust wickedness and oppression happening. We are powerless over death. We don't have wisdom to interpret this matter. And we should eat and drink and be merry. This sounds a lot like, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's like being told by the doctor, I got bad news for you. You're dying of cancer. But don't worry. I prescribed some wine and a vacation for you. And you may say, that's great. But what are you going to do about my cancer? Is there anything you could do about it? And perhaps the reason Solomon keeps bringing this up is a, is a good thing, which it is. But in light of this vain world, is to make us say, Okay, wait a minute. There needs to be something greater than this. There needs to be something more substantive than this. Well, Solomon now moves to an answer. But it's not really an answer. Verses 16 through 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see 
the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a man, even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So Solomon says, okay, I tried to find an answer. I tried to apply my heart to wisdom. In answer to the question he started with, who is like the wise? Who can interpret the matter? The matter being discussed in Ecclesiastes, this vain world. And he found that men are likewise trying to find an answer. Even losing sleep over it in their hardships in this vain life. But we cannot figure it out. We cannot figure out what God is up to. The work of God here. That's what it refers to. What's, what's God up to in this vain world? Just by examining life under the sun, we don't have the answer. Solomon says, I don't have the answer. Solomon says, someone who claims to be wise won't have the answer. He says three times, it cannot be found out. And that's what he leaves it at. And so this leads to the question, who is like the wise? Who is the wise one that can give us the answer? The one that knows the interpretation of the big thing that Ecclesiastes has been talking about, the sin I think we all know the answer, don't we? The answer is our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone who is God's very wisdom himself. Wisdom incarnate. The one who is the king to whom all obedience is due. Every command. But who came to fulfill all his commands in our place. So that we would get credit for that obedience as if we had done it. And then go into the cross to pay for all our disobedience to His commands, to take the punishment in our place to satisfy the just wrath that we deserve. And He did, he did all things well. He perfectly knew the perfect time and the perfect way. And He has conquered death for us. He has conquered this vain world for us. It is the death of death and the death of Christ becoming a curse for us to deliver us from this sin-cursed, vain world. And now, death is our servant to bring us into the presence of God. We do not need to fear death. We fear death because we know that judgment is coming. After death comes judgment. And we know that we have not been good enough but we don't need to worry about not having been good enough because somebody was perfect in our behalf. And that perfect righteousness counts as ours. And Christ faced the penalty for us so that we would not have to face it. So we would stand before God holy and blameless and above reproach. And God is well pleased to give this gift freely to all who simply open up their hands. Blessed are the spiritual beggars, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is in the gospel that we have the answer. It is in Christ that 
we have the wise one who tells us the interpretation of the matter of this sin-cursed world. It is indeed truly in the gospel that according to the deeds of the wicked, it happened to the righteous one, Christ. And that according to the righteous one, it happens to us, the wicked. And our life gets prolonged. And now we can have true joy and eat and drink with him in his eternal kingdom, which is signified in the Lord's Supper. It is in the gospel, the wisdom and power of God, that is the gospel, it's wisdom and power of God that interprets his vain life and gives us true hope in this vain life under the sun, knowing that we have a greater hope above the sun. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for Christ. He is the wise one that has given us the answer. Only in the gospel is the answer found to this sin-cursed, vain life. May we praise Him. May we live for Him. And may we take great confidence that He loves us, that He gave Himself up for us so that we may live and that You, God, are pleased, well-pleased, to give this as a free gift. You indeed are a God who justifies the ungodly. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.